I'm Amy, sex educator, sex and relationship coach, and sex shop owner. And I'm April, VP of an international high-end pleasure products company and boss queen sex toy mogul. We're best friends who make our own rules about who we are as sexual beings. With everything from how to be a badass in the bedroom to top tips for bringing your relationship to the next level, we have something just for you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Don't forget to head on over to our website at shamelesssex.com for more. And for 15% off of some of our favorite sex toys, use coupon code SHAMELESSPP in all caps at purepleasureshop.com. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Y'all know we are picky about our sponsors, and this one was handpicked by us because we absolutely love it. April and I are huge fans of Hot Source Yoga. Not only does their hot Pilates and hot sculpt keep us fit and feeling good, but we also have a ton of fun doing it. If you are in or around Santa Cruz, you got to check out Hot Source Yoga. And if you want to be extra badass and up your Pilates game or perhaps become a Pilates teacher, dive into their online hot Pilates teacher training anytime from the privacy of your own home. The founder, Nicole, is also one of my favorite life coaches who has helped hundreds of women empower themselves to make their dreams a reality. Nicole offers sessions in person or online. Use code SHAMELESS for $20 off your first coaching session at NicoleDuke.com. And be sure to visit HotSourceYogaStudio.com to see why it's our latest obsession. And now it's showtime. Hello, everyone. Hola, ¿Cómo everybody. Estás? Hola. Actually, I'm just getting back. Let's see. This is the future right now. I'm just getting back from the Caribbean today. This is launching on the 4th. This is the 4th, but it's still January as we were recording right now. But this Uh, is February when you're listening, everyone. And I was in the Caribbean. How was it? How was the Caribbean? I'm going to predict the future. (laughs) It was awesome. You're going to Puerto Rico. So, hola, como estas? Which they're having some earthquakes and things. So, right now, my heart and my good energy go out to anyone that's affected by anything happening in Puerto Rico. Yes. Yeah, we're going to an island off of Puerto Rico called Culebra. and they'll be in St. Thomas, St. John, and the British Virgin Islands. I watched Bruce that. Rome. I watched that Netflix documentary. I think we talked about Netflix on the last episode we recorded. However, it's a great documentary, Sex Explained. Oh yeah, and it's fifteen minute segments. They just did. Uh, I think they just launched it a couple. I, I don't know why I'm saying launched, released it uh, a few months ago, and so epic. Like different cultures and their sexual. No, no, no not talking. They were talking about how when certain birth controls were being tested, they tested them on people in Puerto Rico. Oh, interesting. And it ended up having a detrimental effect on a lot of folks' health in the '60s and huh. then '70s. Why? I wonder why they targeted and Puerto Rico. Because it was. Uh, an easy place because there was overpopulation at that oh. time. Um, and a lot of very Poverty religious folks and, that oh. wouldn't, weren't taking uh, enormous precautions back then. And so they wanted to test on that and there weren't as many regulations as there were mm. on the f- uh, mainland of the United States. So watch the documentary if you're interested in this. And with this episode is actually, it's the perfect, perfect yeah. way to talk about that because it is about birth control and some of the effects that it can have specifically on psych- the psychological effects. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, and this author is genius. Yes. Doctor, author. She's amazing. Yeah. Dr. Sarah Hill, um, recommended by Dr. Jolene Brighton, who we did a episode with. And they come from, they have a similar message, but they come from different backgrounds. This one's more research based and just really helpful information, whether you're on birth control, you know, someone that is, you're going to be in the future. You have children. I know that you've talked about this April with having conversations with your partner's daughter about Which sex. Which isn't easy. And, yeah. and honestly, it's There's something no that's coming up right now. And I think I mentioned it on this episode with, with Sarah, Dr. Sarah Tanza, or Sarah Hill, Hill sorry. Yeah. Dr. Sarah Tanza, shout out too. to you too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that being said, I, I still haven't come up with a great solution yeah. because when you're 15, it's way easier sometimes to take a pill. You just have to find the one that's right for you. Yeah, but then there's what Dr. Sarah Brighton, sorry, Sarah Brighton, Jesus, Jolene Brighton said that when you take birth control pills before 16, some of the studies show that there can be permanent damage. Well, you know that right now there's a bunch of research being done in India and there's a gel that could be injected into a man's penis to just stop, just like a, a vasectomy, but reversible. Be that easy. Yeah. It is, and... The, the effects, they haven't done human trials yet. They've only tested uh, somewhat the extensive human trials. And so far, the results have been really incredible uh, thus far in the testing. And I think it's starting to go into the terms of testing. So after the, the gels injected, I think it can last up to 10 years. And then if you choose to have children or you choose that you want to have this reversed, you just get another solution injected into the gel. The gel mm. dissipates and then your sperm is, is f- flowing freely as well. So what about, I mean, I mean, that makes it, but also like, what about just like ball Botox or something like something that freezes the sperm so that you still get the ejaculate, but they're like, just kind of paralyzed. Let's start trials on that one. Well, you know, so the, the whole, the, the male birth control or birth control for sperm owners has been in, in trials for decades. And every time the side effects are, if you look at the side effects, the exact same as, as women, as yeah. women, but they reject it, but they reject yeah. it because no, the, we can like have that mood swings and yeah. acne and weight gain. And they're like, no, this is horrible. Yeah, like welcome to our world. <laughs> motherfuckers. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that is, that being said that right now, this is what we have. And it's either right. you have, uh, what is it called? Prolac- prolax what is it what is it called Pro- prophylactic prophylactic You're talking about condoms yeah. yeah which i think is so funny prophyl i was like called prolaxis yeah. prophylactic prophylactic yeah. or you have all of these iud's and you have the NuvaRing, I know the ring, the, 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 the shot. shot. Yeah. Then there's the implant. Yeah. There's all of these different options, and each body is so different that you don't know what it will do to you until you try. Because yeah. I had the IUD, you've had the IUD many years. Uh, both. Me for me, Hormonal, it was absolutely horrendous experience. For one year, it felt like I was being murdered from the inside out. Mm-hmm. That copper, I think, is quite vicious. And like I've talked in my past podcast, still got pregnant on it, and I just got my hormonal IUD. I loved it. I loved it. Otherwise, I, one thing I, and I think when we recorded this podcast, we did it a while ago. I think I still had the IUD then. Um, and I loved everything about it, except that I like bleeding You know, I, you don't really bleed on it. I like being able to see what's happening with my body. How long ago did you get it out? I just got it out maybe three to four weeks ago or huh. something. So, um, I wonder if that was yeah. the end of your, why you had the, like the rash, the rash on, on your forehead? forehead, maybe because you just had it up to a week ago. Now it's almost gone. I think it's that new P50. We got that. Oh yeah. That P50 <laughs> shit's great. I've been yeah. using it every other day because otherwise it's a little bit dry. Hey, my esthetician, Daryl, if you're listening, Daryl, say his name. Yeah. He's an esthetician. 
I know, but I'm promoting his business. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. He might. I don't know. He works in San Francisco. I like Daryl. This is my daughter, Daryl. This is my other daughter, Daryl. You cured Darryl. our skin. <laughs> yeah, for real. I think I look yeah. like I'm at least 15 now. Thanks, before Darryl. I was looking like 25. We love you, Daryl. You're the best. All right, we have a sex question, everyone, before we dive into the podcast. Uh, oh, the, uh, I, I, yes. before we answer or uh, oh, yeah. you get to the sex question, if you are looking for any Valentine's Day, this episode obviously airs 10 days before Valentine's Day, yes. and you're looking for any ideas, please refer to the previous episode because Amy and I made a bunch of awesome recommendations, yep. some that will cost money, some that won't cost any money, some toys, some just fabulous ideas that yeah. come straight from our hearts. If you don't know what to do, so it's on the last episode, which I don't remember is 142, 143, non-traditional relationships. I think that's what we labeled it. Go check it out. Okay, sex question. April, here's the question. I'm 23, female, and my boyfriend is 29. I've known him for five years, been with him for a year now, and I love him so much, and the sex is amazing. There is something I've been wanting more of, though. I have a hard time explaining what I want. Like I said, we've been dating over a year, but I want more kissing. I brought this up to him that it's something I would like more of, and he thought I was asking him to change who he was, and he said he's too old for making out. He's 29, by the way. Uh, <laughs> just going to throw that in. Obviously, I have opinions. I'm not trying to change him. I just want some more attention sometimes, not only in the bedroom, but outside too. I grew up with my father around, but he still to this day has never told me he loves me, and I don't want that in my relationship. I know he loves me, but I want to hear it sometimes too. Is it selfish to want or even kind of ha- or want or have a need for that? Question. Wow. So... I know you'll have some amazing I'm advice. So I'm just kidding. No, no I'm stop. Uh, the therapist Amy will have some excellent advice, and I can just tell you, I relate to this so much. I need, I desire and need kissing. And your partner's fifty. And my partner's fifty-one. There's and no too old for making out. No, Sorry, okay, I'll let you finish. I also, he's not very accustomed to kissing and making out. That's not something I've had to ask him for, and I still continue to have to ask him for because sometimes we'll be beginning a little sexual adventure and he goes straight for my my breasts or straight for my clitoris which I also love however I always have to check in with him and say hey can you kiss me a little bit or I just go in and and start making out with him and I love kissing him and that is something that I've had to really almost adjust to his ways of of aligning with me sexually and asking, of course, you don't always want to do that. You want it to flow and you want it to feel easy. And sometimes his brain isn't working like mine. And so I have to get comfortable with asking. Now, as far as it goes with public displays, I feel you. It's sometimes it's nice to, to be, it's just nice to be held or touched in public. And that's something that I, I don't get as much affection as I used to in my pre- my ex-husband. Oh, he touched you all the time. It was all the time, which sometimes was overwhelming for yeah. me, but it really did switch me into this mode of wanting and craving and desiring that particular exchange with someone because I'm like, I need your touch. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a lot of touch or uh, I, loves, I love yous from my family growing up either. So for me, that is imperative for any relationship going forward, especially any partnership going forward. So uh, I think... Be as clear as you can. The whole too old scenario is, is ridiculous. That's that's something. It, and I think if you if you remember not to bring it up in a blame state where you're like, you never do this or I can't believe you don't do this. Just say, hey, I really love this. I need this to feel 
just a connection to you. It would mean so much to me if we could work on that, if you could just try more often to do that. Or do you mind if I continue to remind you if you don't do that? That would be my suggestion. And I can compare to you and I feel you. I agree. I I agree. It's a conversation and I don't know how you um, express this desire, this need. As you've heard me say already, there's no too old for making out. There's no too old for... um, Anything that you desire. Um, studies show, I think a lot of Wednesday Martin's work that she's done in showing a lot of the research is that most vulva owning folks need kissing or making out to feel turned on and connected in whether it's a, you know, the new, the first date to five years in the relationship. They've only been together, these people have only been together for one year. They've known each other for five years. Um, and so, and I've had experiences like this, like here's kind of a silly example, but my first relationship, who's now my best guy friend, we lived together in a non-sexual Love him. relationship, love him to death. We were together from age 18 to 22. And I remember asking, I really wanted to receive more touch, like massages on the occasion. You know, it's like, like once a month, can you like rub my shoulders or something? And he would have his, his excuse was, I'm, I don't really like doing it, you know? And I was like, mm, that's not going to really work for me. You know, that's like, what about, what do you not, do you hate it? Does it bring up this thing? Like maybe you don't think you're skilled at it. Like if you're getting a huge no and you're having a fucking trauma response, then okay, I get it. Don't rub my fucking shoulders. But I'm pretty sure that there's plenty of things that we can do for people that we don't absolutely love. There's, but I just, but I get off on pleasure, you know, I'm stepping outside of myself. So for, for your partner here, so I call bullshit on him. And then later on, of course, we broke up. He's like, let me massage your shoulders. Like too I'm late. Um, but it's a, for your, your partner here. I would, you know, I'm going to get curious. Like he apparently has a belief on that. There's a certain age that making out applies. And then at a certain time when you're older in a long-term relationship that it doesn't anymore, which is not true. Um, there, that's cause he's making a generalization about the way sex should be for everyone. So it's more of getting you, like April said, you know, having clear, honest, loving communication and also getting curious. Like, you know, you say that you don't think adults do this, but I know a lot of adults that do. You know, I see it on TV. I have friends that do. My parents do it or, you know, whatever. I know these thirty women in their 30s that are making out all the time. I, I mean, my current partners I make out with all the time. My current partner that I'm with now, my last partner. Um, and we were together for five and a half years and we still made it all the time. And it was important to both of us. So as we get curious about that, why he thinks that, and then just conveying like what April said, that this is important to me to feel connected. I actually need this for connection. And how far are you willing to stretch, right? Like what does making out have to look like? Well, it may be getting really clear. Does it mean that we're kissing for like three minutes? I don't know. Or is it like, is there a tongue involved? Is it something that you want every day? Is it something that you need like twice a week? Um, but it's a really, it's a negotiation. And if it's something that you, it's really important to you and they can't meet you in that, then it, you know, these kind of things can be deal breakers. Like mm-hmm. for me, if I was with someone and they were not down to um, kiss and make out semi-regularly, I don't think it will work for me personally, I'm, my love language is my primary love language is touch. And I do feel connected through kissing. And if that was off the table, um, I think I would be screaming inside. So that's just me. So I'm just saying that for you. And then she also had one other question. Um, she wants, it sounds like she also wants attention and to be told that she's loved more, so more words of affirmation. So this is another love language. We did a podcast on love languages. Mm. So long time ago, long time ago maybe go revisit that if you look in the um, title description book as well the five yeah. languages of love yeah it's very insightful gary chapman yeah is gary that, chapman right. it, it sounds like for her there's 
touch and words of affirmation are big. Mm-hmm. There's nothing selfish for you to desire hearing that you're loved, to hear, want to hear that you're beautiful, that you're wanted, that you're desired, and to desire kissing. I will say the thing is, your partner's love language may be different, yeah. and he may not understand where you're coming from or why you need these things. It's just important for him to understand where this comes from and that those things are important for you to feel love. And like April said with her partner, they, they negotiate, right? You have a conversation of like, or obviously you have a different love language. So how, how can I speak your language, love language and meet you? And how can you speak mine and meet me? And we kind of meet somewhere in the middle. And sometimes it might be more than the other, but you never want to feel like you're only, you're compromising all of yourself, you know, and you're not getting met. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, this is a, you're not selfish and have more conversations and listen to our other podcasts. We talk a lot about how to speak lovingly. Um, but I hope that you get the makeouts and the kisses and the love that you want. And if you find that you're not getting it, and your daddy issues too, by the way, that's, that's showing up. I mean, I have similar ones too. Like that's showing up there. Um, and of course it's going to contribute to you designing more of this stuff probably. But even if you didn't have those daddy issues, you probably would want these things too. Okay. Bio. And then with podcasts, we're just going to dive on in, Jip. Are you ready? Dr. Sarah E. Hill is a research psychologist and professor of psychology. She is also the author of the new book, This Is Your Brain on Birth Control, The Surprising Science of Women, Hormones, and the Law of Unintended Consequences. To learn more, visit Sarah with an H, S-A-R-A-H-E, Hill, H-I-L-L dot com. Are you ready to dive into the podcast? Chippa. That was the shortest bio. Well, there's a long bio too, but that's going to be in the write-up. <laughs> we expected more. I expected more because she is such a phenomenal... All right, let me tell you more about her. Okay. She's a leading researcher in the dynamic and rapidly expanding field of evolutionary psychology. Sarah E. Hill completed her PhD at UT Austin and is now a professor at TCU. With more than 50 scientific publications and multiple prestigious research grants, and I'm not trying to make her sound like... No, this is legit, though. She has a ton of just research cred. Okay, good. So to her credit, Dr. Hill has become an authority on evolutionary approaches to psychology and health. She has been quoted in the New York Times, the Washington Post, Scientific American, and The Economist. Uh, To learn more, visit SarahEHill.com. See, that's what I'm talking about. What do you think about that? Shout out to Dr. Sarah Hill. Mic drop. (laughs) Perfect. Okay, so let's dive in. But first... Valentine's Day is just around the corner, so it's only fitting that this important interruption is brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your man's family jewels. Have you thought about what you're getting your loved one this year? How about the gift that's going to pleasure both of you at the same time? I'm talking about the Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0, which includes the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0, as well as their amazing anti-chafing crop preserver and crop reviver, making for a sexy yet practical gift for Valentine's Day. It's literally everything your man needs to keep his precious jewels safely trimmed and smelling nice down there. I recently gifted one to a very special man in my life, and he loves it, and my own bits and face agree. Penis owners, it's time to stop using the same trimmer on your face as you're using on your balls. And penis admirers, you just discovered a great gift for Valentine's Day. And to get you started, our listeners get 20% off and free shipping with code SHAMELESS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code SHAMELESS. Your bits will thank you for it. And now back to the show. You know what? We're not going to talk about birth control. Let's talk about anal sex. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you get well, that that'll, I, was just, I was about to say that's an alternative, right? Yeah. That's you, don't need to be, you don't need to be on birth control to have anal sex. So, no. So, um, 
the podcast has begun because right. we're going to start it with anal. Hey, hey. <laughs> um, we're talking about birth control, you know, and, and I think this is a funny, I just want to start with this point that, you know, in the, we're talking about Mormonism, you know, in the, in the Bible, you know, sodomy is, is oral sex and anal sex in the same category as sodomy and so is bestiality. They're all things that can't get you pregnant. And I mean, when we think about these things, we're thinking about birth control, we think about STIs, STDs, and getting pregnant when you don't want to. God, oral sex and anal sounds real good at those times, at those points. <laughs> I mean, I know that that stuff was created to, um, you know, to regulate and control bodies and to, I was when population wasn't an issue and we probably wanted more humans at that point. So it was like, let's, you know, outlaw these things so that people will start making babies. But in this topic, we're talking with Dr. Sarah Hill, PhD, about the book, This Is Your Brain on Birth Control, The Surprising Science of Women, Hormones, and the Law of Unintended Consequences. We've already spoken with you a little bit, but welcome, Sarah, to our show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I feel like the title, The Law of Unintended Consequences, needs a dun-dun-dun, because that sounds, <laughs> sounds so intense. I mean, really. Uh, yeah. Great title. I'm done. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. I'm well, done. I mean, it's, yeah, well, it's like one of those things, right? Where um, it's like you take any medication, right? And people take it for like one effect. It's like the butterfly wings, right? It's like you take it for this one effect and then it has this cascading effect throughout a woman's body and throughout her brain. And then of course, women, because they don't exist in a vacuum and they live in the context of relationships with their colleagues and their romantic partners and, you know, and their families, it's like everything that a woman does, um, you know, if, if, birth control pill is influencing women's brains and influencing their behavior. It's going to influence their interactions with other people, which is then going to influence the way that the world is. And so the birth control pill can change the world. Yeah, it sure can. <laughs> and we're going to dive into kind of like the deep uh, messages from your book and, and mm -hmm. what people should definitely know out there about this topic, which we have touched on previously on our show. And it is a, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty great topic and it's a, it's a hard one uh, to convey. So can you tell us more about your journey and kind of how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. So I, um, I, my PhD is in, uh, is in psychology and I've spent my career studying, um, women and health and relationships. So I study things like love and attraction and, um, and, and also sexual behavior, like risky sexual behavior and what, especially in women tends to, um, promote, um, risky sexual behavior. And so, you know, I've spent my career kind of focused on women and relationships and even hormones and, you know, the way that women's sex hormones, as they change across the cycle, the way that that changes women's motivation, um, and influences their, in their behavior. And so, you know, I like was sort of studying these things in this very academic sense. Um, and I was also on the birth control pill and, um, and it was just sort of funny, um, because, you know, I'd been studying the impact of hormones on and sex hormones on women's behavior and like how they sort of experience the world psychologically. And I never put two and two together, um, with the birth control pills that I was on. Um, and that, you know, if hormones influence the brain and influence women's behavior in this way and that way and this way, that when we change women's hormones by taking the birth control pill, that it's also going to change what women's brains are doing also. And so, um, you know, I was studying this, I was on the birth control pill. 
Um, and then I went off of the birth control pill and, um, I was on it for uh, a little more than a decade, about 11 years, almost straight. I was, I was off it, you know, here and there for these little pockets of time. Um, but I was never off it for a really long period of time. Um, and then, it was, it was about six years ago now, I went off of it and I just felt like I woke up. I felt like I um, woke up from a nap I didn't know I was taking. I had more energy. I felt like I was more in tune with my sort of sexuality. I was interested in sex again. I was noticing men. Um, I was noticing my husband. I was, um, it was just like, I, I started growing my hair out again for the first time in a long time. I was um, interested in, you know, um, cooking and listening to music. And I was interested in my appearance. It was like all of these things that are sort of like pleasure seeking, you know, types of motivations felt like they had the volume turned up after the volume had been down for a very long time. And having all of these changes um, prompted by being off of the birth control pill made me really sort of have that epiphany, like, oh my goodness, you know, sex hormones influence women's brains in all of these different ways. Um, of course, the birth control pill was contributing to how I felt when I was on it compared to when I was off of it. And that was what led me to the research um, in the book. I began my sort of journey into um, what do we know and not know based on you know science about the way that the birth control pill influences women's brains and then how they experience the world. So when we had uh, Jolie, Dr. Jolene Brighton on here, and she's the one that sent, sent us your way as well, yeah. um, and she had, was talking about some of these things that, um, on, you know, on birth control, that uh, women's sexual attraction can um, can be different than when they're on off birth control, so they can choose a partner um, for different reasons when they're on birth control, and then when they're off birth control, all of a sudden they're like, wait, this is, I chose, what? This is the partner I chose? Okay, first of all, do you ever hear of women who go back on birth control so they can like their partner again? Like, does that ever happen? Who are they're like, shit, I need the pill again so that I can be attracted again? Well, it's so funny that you say that because um, I have talked to women who have considered that, but I've never, ta- I've never met one who's actually done it. Oh. So um, I have um, talked to a handful of women who like had that exact thought where they had that change in attraction that happened as a result of going off of the birth control pill. And they considered going back on it because they wanted to be attracted to their partner again. But for all of them, and this is really interesting, it was like the sort of dulled feeling that you get from the birth control pill, um, like feeling like the volume is turned down and that your world is kind of grayscale just wasn't worth it. Mm -hmm. So even though they didn't feel attracted to their partner, they just they couldn't get themselves to want to go back on it after experiencing the world being off of it again. Yeah. Because it, they just felt so much better off of it. I that's interesting. So so this is an idea. So they're talking about the pill. The pill can affect sexual responses, choice of partner, um, or other life choices like career or uh, attainment of higher education. Can you elaborate more on these things for our listeners? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So you know, the birth control pill can influence our motivation in like these really sort of fundamental, essential ways. Like for example. Um, we know that the sex hormone estrogen plays a really important role in terms of fueling women's sexual desire. And we know it's associated with sexual fantasies and it's associated with sexual, you know, just like sex drive as we think about it. 
Um, and same with uh, testosterone um, with women, same things, you know, testosterone is associated with um, sexual functioning in women and the birth control pill keep, you know, keeps estrogen levels very low, keeps testosterone levels very low. And so, you know, you tend to get these sort of like essential fundamental motivational shifts in women as a result of the birth control pill, um, sort of decreasing women's libido, decreasing their sexual desire and, and even their interest in, um, all things related to sex, even their attunement to men, like how quick they are to notice an attractive man is something that changes um, in response to birth control pill use. And this is just the result of the hormones doing, you know, sort of doing what they normally do in the brain. And because there's a lack of um, estrogen, which is something that increases women's attunement to these things um, in particular, and testosterone plays a role too, but estrogen, I think, is the, the bigger driver in these patterns that we see in, um, that we see in women on the pill. Um, it, it, it sort of fundamentally changes women's levels of motivation. But there's also these sort of more like meta kind of like cognitive um, sort of conscious level things that happen in response to the birth control pill um, that can influence yeah, women's attainment of higher education, for example. You know, like um, one of the things that the birth control pill has done for women um, that's so important and has been so pivotal in terms of us being able to achieve economic parity with men um, is that it allows us to make plans. And, you know, for a really long time, like our great grandmothers, um, you know, if they wanted to go, for example, to medical school, like that's a really big undertaking. You're going to be in medical school until you're about 30 years old. And the idea that a woman um, who doesn't have access to a basically completely fail-safe way of preventing pregnancy, there's always, you know, the possibility that you could be halfway through your career in, in you know, in med school and then all of a sudden get pregnant. And a lot of women, you know, especially, you know, the, the combination of having safe legalized abortions and, um, and really highly effective birth control um, has really allowed women to make plans and dream big because most people won't start something that's a big undertaking, like going to get an advanced degree or even just going to college um, unless they feel like they're going to be able to finish it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that for, you know, our grandmothers, our great grandmothers, um, you know, who didn't have those, they didn't have those options. Like they, there was always a possibility that if they were to get involved in a relationship that was sexual, um, which of course they were going to do <laughs> before they're 30, um, that they would end up pregnant um, unless they use the alternative um, mode of birth control, which is anal that we talked about. Oh, <laughs> so anal. Really good oh. anal. Right. Yeah. But um, I mean, honestly, like uh, just this idea that, um, you know, the pill and, and again, like safe legalized abortions, both of those things together and this idea that women now have the ability to regulate their fertility, you know, in, in a really, you know, uh, effective way um, allows women to plan and, and dream big. And, you know, as, as soon as the pill became legally available to single women, which happened right around 1970, mm-hmm. what you see is this huge uptick in the number of women who are simply even applying to law school, business school, and medical school. And just going to show that when women, you know, are able to be the ones who are in charge of whether or not they're having babies and whether or not they get pregnant, um, even though, you know, the abstinence only types would like to argue that giving women access to birth control is going to make women reckless and irresponsible.
irresponsible. That's exactly the opposite of what we see is that as soon as women have the ability to regulate their fertility, they dream bigger and they achieve more. It's like this like amazing, you know, thing for women to be able to um, have control over pregnancy or not pregnancy. And so the pill, you know, can influence our, what our sort of brains are doing in a, in a really fundamental way by just changing our sex hormones. And that's going to change the operation of different neurotransmitter systems in the brain and, and, you know, things like desire and, and, and motivational states, but also in these like big sort of conscious level, what can I do and not do given, you know, the possibility of pregnancy and then influencing things like um, educational attainment. And we hear about, well, I have one thing to ask before I ask you, um, like the, the meteor question. This isn't just exclusive to the pill. I'm assuming it's any type of hormonal birth control. Yeah, yeah. So whenever I say the pill, it's really sort of my shorthand for all forms of hormonal birth control. And like one thing that I think is really important for your listeners to understand, because I can't tell you how many times I've heard this, um, whenever you put a sex hormone in your body, um, and it doesn't matter if it's a vaginal ring or it doesn't matter if it's the the hormonal IUD, those hormones all end up everywhere that blood travels. Um, because some women's doctors tell them that if they go, for example, on the hormonal IUD, that it's acting quote unquote locally, right? Like somehow it's influencing their ovaries, but not getting anywhere else. But that's just not the way that it works at all. Um, the way that it works is by actually influencing the brain. Um, that's how hormonal contraception works is that the progestins in there tell the brain not to initiate the hormonal cascade that leads to egg maturation. So the activity that the pill has or the the hormonal IUD or the, the vaginal ring have on suppressing what the ovaries are doing is something that occurs via changes in the brain. And so um, women's doctors, I've had so many women tell me that their doctors told them that they are crazy for experiencing some of the side effects that they've experienced on the hormonal IUD because it shouldn't, it's only acting quote unquote locally, but that just violates the way that hormones work. Hormones get into the bloodstream and they go everywhere that blood travels and they get picked up by every cell in the body that has a receptor for those hormones. And there's a ton of those types of cells in the brain. So, and I'm curious about that real quick. I know April has another question for you, but um, is that, do you think that that's because that's what the FDA says and then they tell the doctors that and then the doc- doctors are the ones conveying the information that like, you know, that's, that there's greater research on there that you are aware of, but that um, that the FDA might be uh, limiting, we love you FDA, just kidding, we don't, but we, they might be limiting <laughs> some of the information. I mean, that's what it feels like to me. I had the, um, the copper IUD and um, my second round, my first round, I got pregnant on it. Um, but my second round, I had all these weird symptoms. I was like extra puffy and bloating. My face is breaking out like crazy. And you know, it's not hormonal, but I read online about like copper poisoning and all these different things. And doctors were like, no, it's impossible. It doesn't do that. But I'm like, that's just what the FDA told you. Cause they want you to sell their shit. Right. Like <laughs> I, you look online, there's like a thousand different women with the same symptoms from this thing. So, and I got it out and it went away. But it's all big pharma. It's yeah. related to big pharma, yeah. which, yeah, yeah. companies. That's yeah. actually a better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that I think that it's really these these sales reps. I mean, they don't they don't have a degree in medicine, and they don't understand the way that the brain and the body work, right? They understand chemicals, right? They study a lot of these people who work for pharmaceutical companies got a degree in pharmacy. 
So they understand a lot about chemistry, maybe some rudimentary things about the body. But I bet that if we did a quiz of pharmaceutical sales reps who are marketing these things to doctors and ask them how do hormones travel in the body and where do they go, that they wouldn't have a clue. Like, and, and like, what is the mechanism through which um, the birth control pill actually prevents ovulation? I'm willing to bet that we would find it at least a 50% hit rate of people saying that it works on the ovaries, which just isn't at all the way that it works. Mm. Um, and it's because that in, and yeah, and they're the ones who are selling this to the doctors, but the doctors, you know, they should know better than that. Um, they do study the body. <laughs> And they should they should understand um, how the you know it's called the HPG axis or the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis. They should understand how that works um, because you know hashtag medicine hashtag human body <laughs> hashtag this is your job. Come yeah, on. exactly, exactly. Yeah, so I think that there's definitely some of that there. And with the copper IUD, even like um, you know we know so there's there's the copper piece of things on the one hand, but there's also, you know, you get an inflammatory response from um, the copper IUD and inflammation influences the brain. And that's like, like I have a whole line of research in the different ways that inflammation um, in the body, even low levels, it can influence everything from your ability to operate self-control mm-hmm. to your mood. It's like linked with anxiety and depression and lowered self-control. I mean, there's a lot of um, the immune system interacts with um, what the activities of the brain are in like really profound ways. And doctors should also know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, so it's so important. And, and it's like, you know, doctors don't really pay all that much attention to the brain because they like, they don't read neuroscience literature or psychology literature. So like, they just aren't really in the loop about everything like that neuroscience now for the last 30 years has been showing that, you know, the immune system and inflammatory activity is like, it's almost as like, like as important as hormones in terms of changing the activities of the brain. And so, yeah, so women probably more frequently than um, doctors have even really appreciated experience um, side effects, psychological side effects from the copper IUD. And this brings me to my question, uh, which obviously when you hear anything on hormonal contraception, you hear blood clots and weight gain and maybe acne as as side effects uh, and some other sometimes stroke and, you know, (laughs) heart attack. And so you hear of those side effects. You never hear about the psychological side effects or what could possibly happen to you uh, sexually. I mean, they don't really talk about those side effects. So I'm wondering, I guess this is a two-part question. Number one, do you think that they don't give that information? Obviously, it's not in their best interest and maybe they don't have to, but because the research could be sort of uh, axed by the big pharma's researchers. And so it feels like it's junk science and they have to choose a side or uh, I guess, and the, and the other part would be, is there enough research? So it's a multi-layered question for you. Sorry. sorry. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so the, the first part was um, like, why don't doctors tell you about this? You know, a big, you know, so like there's the kind of more sort of sinister angle to this, which is that do doctors pick and choose like what they want to be listening to. Yeah, I'm sure that there's some of that or like the the drug companies, I'm sure really do a good job of um, trying to 
like sort of downplay the results of any of, of this type of research that's going to put the birth control pill in um, in a negative light. And, and I, I have no doubt that that goes on because they're a business and, and that's what they're going to do. Um, on the other hand, there's also sort of a more benign explanation for this as well that also probably contributes to this. And that's just that, um, you know, medicine is set up in a way that... Um, the it's it's almost like you know for a long time people like had this like mind body split right this idea that the mind exists over here and then the body exists over here and like people sort of forget about the fact that um the mind or who you are and who how you think and experience the world is the result of biological processes going on in your brain like we forget that the brain is a body part um and medicine has been kind of set up in a way that's been has removed psychological experiences from the area of medicine. So when doctors are, you know, studying the effects of different, you know, things on the body, it's never about experiential things like psychological functioning or motivation or how people think and what they're doing. It's always on these sort of like mechanistic, like what's it going to do to your heart valve? What's it going to do to your arteries? What's it going to do to, you know, your body weight and your metabolism? Um, and so, you know, there's this sort of history of, in this tradition of, you know, medicine existing in this like one corner of the universe, which is made up of these mechanistic questions about valves and, you know, metabolism or whatever. And then you have this other field of research, which is, you know, psychology and neuroscience. Um, and, and, and it's really, I think it's, it's sort of a byproduct of, again, just this mind body split idea where people forget that the mind is a product of what the brain is doing. And so doctors don't read this stuff. I mean, it's like they are not at all um, reading the research literature in psychology and neuroscience. And, um, and, and it's just like not part of their training. It's like they're not like sort of understanding or, or, or reading at all um, the psychological impacts of any of the things that they might be treating. And when you think about this, this problem is, extends far beyond the birth control pill. And, and the birth control pill is obviously something that's really near and dear to all of our hearts in this conversation. But I mean, even things like inflammatory activity, for example, like there is a lot of research linking, you know, when you have, um, when your body is not well, it can do all kinds of funky things to you psychologically. And so patients have probably, you know, begun, you know, have, have been talking to their doctors about the way that everything kind of makes them feel experientially. And doctors don't have a lot to say about that because that's not the literature that they're reading. And so I think that we really need to change the way that medicine is practiced to become more holistic and more whole person. And you do start to see that, you know, some of these, um, you know, newer um, doctors who are being trained in like functional medicine, that they're doing this where they're sort of, you know, like looking at the whole big picture and looking at psychological functioning and all of that. Um, so I think that that's like an another piece of it. So I do think there's a like sort of a, you know, like there's the sinister part where I do think that the drug companies do what they can to sort of keep this information from people. But I also think that it's just naivete on the part of the doctors where they're just like not they're not in the literature, so they're not really familiar um, with what the results of the research um, say. And then is there enough research? Absolutely not. I mean, there's just not there. Um, we know so little compared to what there is yet to learn. Um, and uh, in, so one of the sort of big um, goals of my book, in addition to 
telling women what we do know and giving them a language to explain their experiences is, um, is to really say like, here's what we don't know. And here's some questions that you, that we need to be asking. Um, so that way researchers who are reading the book, like they've got a place to start. Um, and, and, you know, and, and also for women to just really push the funding agencies and, um, the sort of gatekeepers in science, um, to be more sort of adamant that women's issues get studied, um, including, you know, issues like the birth control pill. And, so on the the note of like the political side, so we're talking. There's a lot going on right now with women's reproductive rights, which are very much under attack with especially abortion, birth control, etc. Um, pretty scary, in my opinion. What does our political climate, um, or how does it affect the conversation on birth control? Yeah, no, that's a great question, and it is one that's. I mean, this is a this is can be a challenging conversation to have, especially in these times, right? Because on the one hand, um, I think that it's very important that we always push for getting as much information as possible about um, anything that we're putting into our bodies. Um, but you know, there is a tendency for people to get nervous. Um, you know, when, when we talk critically, like if I say something like, Hey, let's start really thinking critically about the birth control pill. Let's start having hard conversations about the types of trade-offs that women are making when they go on the pill. Um, there, you know, is sort of a knee jerk reflex where because birth control and access to birth control and women's abilities to regulate their own fertility is such an important women's rights issue. I mean, in, in my view, it's, it's the most fundamental women's rights issue out there is having the ability to regulate our fertility. Um, you know, given that, um, it's, it, yeah, it can be really, it can be really tricky to have these conversations um, unless you do so in a really careful and, and thoughtful way. Um, one thing I'll say that um, has been a really um, a pleasant surprise has been how ready women seem to be to have these conversations, and and where we can both we can live in this sort of uncomfortable middle gray space where we say, yeah, birth control pill is um, amazing. And, you know, it's one of the best things that we've got right now in terms of fertility regulation. And it still is going to make sense for a lot of women to be on it at certain points in their life. But also that there are trade-offs that you make when you go on it. And we can understand what those trade-offs are and still, you know, choose to make them. And like, and, and a lot of women are, are sort of understanding like, and are, are seeing what the conversation is about and not sort of falling into that sort of knee jerk, you know, like, oh no, you know, if, if we talk critically about the birth control pill, then that means that, you know, that somebody's going to take it away and that you're going to argue that women shouldn't be on it. And um, it seems like most people are ready to have the nuanced conversation about, hey, here's about knowing what, you know, the trade-offs you're making. And, um, but that doesn't mean that it's bad and should be limited because, you know, it's, it's, it's just trade-offs. Mm-hmm. And, and that brings me to a really solid question because I, I obviously, we talked about having the solution of anal or abstinence as this oral, as this form of, of birth control, but really what are the options? Because for me to tell my, you know, 15, almost 16 year old, not yet sex, sexually active, uh, partner's daughter, you can call her my stepdaughter if you want to, uh, because she we were talking about birth control and I was kind of 
letting her know how it affects the body in this negative way. And I'm like, there's the fertility awareness method. Yes, there's, I mean, a diaphragm, but she's 15 and we can move into even adults that aren't super accountable about taking, you know, things uh, into their own hands and tracking their periods. So uh, what, in what ways can we educate folks, but also what are the options out there? Right. No. And this is another really great question. So I have a daughter and um, my daughter's about to turn 13. And so these are conversations that, you know, I'm like getting prepared to start thinking about as we sort of move into that um, phase of, of her life. And um, yeah, I mean, like, I think that like fertility awareness method is, is great for women who are going to be able to effectively use that um, in a way that's going to actually prevent pregnancy. I think the copper IUD can be really a great option for women who tolerate it. Well, not everybody does as, um, as we, you know, is your like uh, sort of um, you know, told us about it. It's, it's some women have these psychological um, effects with that. So there's that, yeah. And there's a diaphragm, but like what teenager would you trust to use that effect or condoms? And it's like, that's the redheaded stepchild of <laughs> contraception. Like nobody wants to use that. And so, I mean, you, you've got these, um, we, we have lots of different alternative options that are out there, but there's also the birth control pill. And, um, and I don't think that knowing about the trade-offs that you're making, um, and, and that are possible when it comes to the birth control pill means don't be on the birth control pill. I think that for a lot of women and including, you know, if my daughter is like, let's say that she's 16 and sexually active. Um, and I know that she's not somebody who's going to be able to effectively use, for example, the fertility awareness method, um, uh, birth control, you know, we would try the copper IUD, but if she didn't respond well to that, then it would be the birth control pill. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's really just all about knowing what the possible effects are, um, and being able to monitor yourself and then trying to find the one that works the best for you. Because the one thing that I do know from the research, um, and you know, is when you look at every single one of these studies that's been done, what you tend to see is that even though when science is reported, right, it, it's reported in this way where we say something like, oh, the birth control pill, you know, predicts this outcome and it predicts that outcome. That sounds like a really straight linear relationship between pill and then this outcome. But there's a huge amount of variability between women and how they respond to individual formulations of the pill. Right. So, for example, if we find that the birth control pill can influence women's sexual satisfaction, for example, or sexual desire, um, and there's a lot of evidence that finds that this is the case, um, in those studies, there are some women who have huge sexual side effects, right? So they have these big decreases in libido. And then we have other women for whom there's no differences at all. Um, and then there's other women who might even experience an increase, right? It's just that the average is, is that women experience a decrease in libido, but there's a huge amount of variability. And, you know, the research right now isn't at a good place to make really good predictions about, you know, what individual woman is going to respond what way to what individual formulation of the birth control pill. And so it's really all about educa educating yourself and like, what are the effects that we know can happen and then monitoring yourself and seeing whether or not you're experiencing any of these things. And if you are, maybe first trying a new birth control pill, because there's, you know, almost a hundred different formulations out there and they have these different types of progestins in them, which are going to be stimulating different receptors in the brain. And so chances are, if you're willing to be patient 
and troubleshoot and you have a thoughtful, you know, doctor who's willing to work with you while you troubleshoot, you should be able to find something that will allow you to feel maximally at home in your own body while still protecting yourself from pregnancy. And so, you know, I really think that information in this case is like, it's so powerful and it can be such an important tool in terms of, you know, even if the best thing we have right now is the birth control pill. And for a lot of women, that is, it is the best option for them. Um, then it's about knowing what to look out for. So that way they can optimize their, their use of the birth control pill in a way that helps them sort of be who they want to be and like create the life that they want. So saying kind of the more knowledge, the better. And then everyone's different. So I hear some stories of someone saying, I was a crazy person on ortho tricycline. And the other person's mm-hmm. like, I love that shit. It worked really well for my body, you know, and, you know, not to forget that we're all different and we're all different to find the, you know, the right mix for us and to, to try it, try it out and work with doctors that will, um, or great doctors that will help you to figure out what that is for you. And one thing that I thought of, um, which isn't about birth control, but it's about being pregnant, which I think is similar to um, probably an experience people might have uh, maybe on the pill and off the pill was um, when I got pregnant on the IUD, I um, was in this transition with my partner and they were going to leave me for this other person and I happened to get pregnant by them at the same time, kind of heavy. And so I was dating at the same time. Like mm-hmm. during that time, I actually started dating someone when I didn't know I was pregnant. And um, and I was really attracted to them. And I was attracted <laughs> to them for like two or three months. And then I ended up having an abortion. I wasn't ready to have a, a child with this person who was about to leave me. And um, and I had an abortion. And honestly, a couple weeks later, I was not attracted to that person anymore. <gasps> I was like, oh, <laughs> I was just pregnant. And you were like really sweet, good caretaker type or something like that. Right. And That's I, I mean, fascinating. I mean, and it's different. You know, I'm not, it's, it's, you know, pregnancy drugs, you know, that's its own, its own mix of hormones. So just, I, to me, that's like, there's an example of hormones can totally affect what our wants, our desires, our interests in people. And that one was just a little different than what birth control would do, but what, they're the same thing, right? That's, that right. It's different, but it's, it's hormones. Right. It's uh, hormones. And it's like, as you were experiencing that, I mean, that was your reality, right? Like you were like, I, you know, I'm so attracted to this guy. And then it's like, amazing. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's like so funny because it's like, we forget that our, I mean, our hormones are like kind of pulling some of the strings in our brain. And it's like, we're experiencing that as reality, mm-hmm. you know? And so, yeah, that it, it really, does illustrate just how powerful a role our hormones play in terms of influencing just about anything. I love learning about all of this this stuff. I love when things are proposed in a way that helps my brain and probably all listeners it kind of expand out of this thinking of this you know compartmentalizing everything like you were saying. You know the mind is one thing and the hormones are another thing, the body is another thing and instead right. how they're all related. I think it's so um so important to talk about. Can you tell our listeners how they can find you and your work and your book? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my book is available anywhere um, that books are sold and it's called This Is Your Brain on Birth Control. Um, and it's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and IndieBound and anywhere that you can buy a book, you can find the book. Um, so uh, in my, um, you can find me on social media um, and my handle is at Sarah E. Hill PhD. So that's Sarah with an H, um, Sarah E. Hill PhD. And, um, and I also have a website and that's just sarahehill.com. You can have any more books coming out, Sarah? Um, at some point I'm going to, but right. I'm not quite there yet. I'm actually like writing a, a writing a proposal right now, um, about like just sort of like general, um, wellness and like how to like make our lives better in the weird world that we live in and how to use science to like make yourself like 
happier, healthier, sexier, and like better connected to other people. We all need some more of that, some connectivity from our brains to our hormones, to our bodies and our pussies too. Yeah. <laughs> and our cocks and all the in between. Yes, all and of everything. And all, yes. And no matter where they are. <laughs> no matter where they're located. So thank you though, Sarah. This was awesome info and obviously mega important for folks out there, no matter if they are birth control takers or they have children or they know people that are on birth control, which that is probably every single one of us listening um, and participating. So I know that I will take a lot of what you had to say with me to communicate to some of the young uh, women that I know that are, you know, on birth control or thinking about getting on it because it's some good stuff, good information. So thank you for sharing with us and, and our listeners. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on and being able to get the message, the information out there to women. I wish we had hours and hours and hours like Joe Rogan. (laughs) (laughs) It just feels like, it just feels like hours and hours. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, Well, just kidding. uh, Well, thank you. And thank you for the info and to our listeners out there. We love you above and beyond. You are the light of both of our lives and we will see you next Tuesday y'all ciao for now don't forget to head on over to our website at shamelesssex.com for more and for 15% off of some of our favorite sex toys use coupon code shamelesspp in all caps at purepleasureshop.com